0: The reading tonight is from Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 9. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The wolf will, lie with, will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy, On all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Thank you, Agnes.
1: Uh, let me add my welcome to Mark's. So if you don't know me, I'm Libya. I'm one of the uh, clergy, one of the ministers here at P's and G's. It's great uh, for us to be together tonight, isn't it, and to worship God, as Mark's uh, been reminding us earlier on. So... Uh, Lots of students aren't here tonight because it's exam time, which is a bit sad, isn't it? And maybe this, if they were here, this might change the response to the question that I'm going to ask. But put your hand up if you would classify yourself as being Scottish. Put your hand up if you would classify yourself as being Scottish. Now, keep your hand up if that's because you were born in Scotland. Oh, a few people, put their hands down. Okay, uh, fantastic little survey. Now, I've lived in Scotland now for nearly uh, six years, and, and I was reflecting this week about how some of the things that I found really strange uh, when I moved here from England have just become now really normal to me, and I'm wondering if I'm actually becoming Scottish. All you Scottish, true Scots, are going to, like, disagree with me on this, but let me give you some examples why that is the case now instead of saying to somebody mark Cameron where do you live I now say sometimes where do you stay and I understand what that phrase means Uh, you know I get it when people uh, walk around uh, with shorts and t-shirts on when it's only 17 degrees rather than thinking it's really strange I get it I'm like yeah let's get our shorts on Uh, it's hot outside You know, it doesn't occur to me now to actually do my weekly shop at 9 o'clock on a Friday morning if I want to buy a bottle of wine, because I now know, and it's ingrained within me, that the wine aisle does not open till 10 o'clock. If you're true Scots, you will not know that in England you can buy wine before 10 o'clock. Okay, Um, I talk about Nicola as though she's my best friend. And I know now that a Kaylee is more akin uh, to boxer size stroke doing an Iron Man than doing a barn dance. I think I am truly a Scottish person. Yeah, Mark's give me a thumbs up, and he is a true Scot. It's funny, isn't it, how, you know, when you live in a place for a few years, you you gradually begin to take on the characteristics of some of that place. You know, maybe when you think about the place that you work, we've been hearing about the place that Pippa works at a few moments ago, or perhaps your school or your university, you can sort of identify characteristics or values maybe just ways of speaking language that can be uh, that sort of draw you together and and sort of classify you make you belong to that place in some way sometimes it's the leader of a community that can influence how we all behave the values that we hold the character traits that we all share in our Bible passage uh, today, it's an incredible passage, isn't it? From Isaiah chapter 11, uh, chapter 11. Uh, Isaiah is sharing a sort of powerful prophecy of the coming king, the rescuer, the Messiah. And he, as he unpacks who this promised one is, we discover what the character of the promised king and his kingdom will be like. We discover what the character of the promised king and his kingdom will be like. And this promised one, this king, we read will be filled with the Spirit, with wisdom and understanding. He will rule with justice and righteousness and faithfulness And his kingdom will be characterized uh, by renewed relationships and peace. It's an amazing passage which is just filled with hope. Now this one is for you, Pippa, because over the last few weeks I have been br- listening to a brilliant podcast uh, called Live No Lies, Just it down, it looks like that when you go to uh, the podcast place, it's not a store, it's just a place you visit. And, and this uh, podcast is a series of conversations between Christian leader and sort of cultural commentator, thinker, uh, John Mark Comer, and he discusses various topics that are very current for our culture today with intellectuals and thinkers. And one of the guests uh, was a woman called Roberta Amundsen and she's an expert in church history. And in the episode where uh, she is part of the conversation, her and uh, John Mark Homer unpack St. Augustine's book, uh, The City of God. And that book was written about 415 AD. So don't worry if you haven't come across it on Amazon or Waterstones or whichever your preferred bookstore is. So as a bit of a background, Augustine, sometimes known as Saint Augustine or Augustine of Hippo uh, for us theology geeks out there, uh, he was around uh, just after the time of the emperor, uh, Emperor, uh, I can't say the word, Constantine uh, of the Roman Empire. And Constantine, the big thing about him was that he had become a Christian. And because of that, he had put a stop to the immense persecution that Christians had endured for the previous 300 years. So suddenly, Christianity becomes mainstream. And this is the place, this is the time that Augustine writes this book. And we think, fantastic! You know, they're not getting persecuted anymore. But what on earth does being a Christian Look like in around 415 without the daily threat of being sawn in half, or or burnt to death, uh, or uh, fed to the lions. How can we live distinctively differently in a world, but in that world, but not of the world, when we're not being persecuted? And that was what the Christians at this time were wrestling with. So, Augustine writes into this context to remind Christians that as much as they are technically citizens of Rome, and and Rome is no longer persecuting them, their lives are not in danger on a daily basis, he's reminding them that actually their primary identity is as citizens of heaven And they need to be aware that they're taking on, they should be taking on the character, not of Rome, but of the one true king and his kingdom. And in the book, Augustine speaks about the earthly city and the celestial or heavenly city. And he draws out that these two cities are marked by two loves, which have contrasting characteristics. The earthly city is marked by a love for self. So if you live in the earthly city, you love yourself. But if you are a citizen of the celestial or heavenly city, your character is marked by love for God. And I was listening to this woman talking on this podcast, explaining Augustine's city of God. And I was thinking, this is amazing. It sort of was blowing my mind because this was written 1600 years ago. And it sounds so familiar to me. The earthly city is marked by love for self. It sounds like a description of the world that I know that I live in and that we all live in. And Augustine goes on to explain how uh, what we worship gives away what we love, or what we love affects what we worship. Just think about it for a moment. What you worship is a window into what you love, or what you love is a window into what you worship. So what is it that you and I worship? You know, who takes up? your thought life, your adoration? What is your priority? Is it me? Is it myself? You know, what I look like, what I'm going to wear, where my identity is, what I want out of life, where I want to go on holiday, how much money do I make? Do I ultimately worship myself and my life? Or is it that we worship other people, another person, maybe a celebrity or an Instagram or TikTok account or a sports team or personality or the person that you are or you want to be in a relationship with. And what temple do you worship at? Because if you think about the temple that you worship at, it might tell you who you love most in your life. Do you worship at the temple of shopping and materialism? especially at this time of year? Do you worship at the temple of Amazon, even though other online retailers are available? Or do we worship ideals like relationships or marriage or family life? What are the gods of this city that we worship? But in Augustine's city of God, the residents of the heavenly city could only worship one God, and they can't worship the one true God and the gods of the city at the same time. Because that, that is not an option left open to them. And so what they have to do is they have to dissent or rebel against the earthly city in order to be true residents, true citizens of the heavenly, the celestial city. And I was listening to this thinking, you know, Augustine could literally be writing the City of God about Christians in Edinburgh on the 5th of December 2021. Because as much as our context, our surroundings are hugely different from that in the Roman Empire in 415 AD, the human condition is the same. We're drawn to worship anything other than God and so if you are a Christian today if I'm a Christian today we are if you like a little bit like those people described by Augustine we are citizens of two places we're citizens of earth and we're citizens of heaven and we're called every day to make a choice to love God and to worship God and put on the characteristics of what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven whilst also living in earth at the same time. We're called to worship the one true God, to love him above all else. And that is seen through the way that we act, the morals that we keep, the life that we live, the idols that we reject. So let's now just go back into the book of Isaiah to explore what it looks like to worship the king and live in a way that reflects the character of his kingdom. So firstly, Isaiah talks about the kingdom will have a king like no other, verses 1 to 3. Uh, The prophecy tells us uh, of a ruler, a ruler who will be spirit-filled and will have the spirit of the Lord permanently resting on him, verse 2. Now, that to us might not seem like a massive big deal, but this was a massive big deal for the people that were reading this. At that time, the spirit of God was known to come on particular people for particular times for particular tasks. But this king, talked about by the prophet Isaiah here in this prophecy, will immediately be marked out from all other kings and rulers because he has the permanent presence of God resting on him. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, verse 2, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, And what is even more remarkable is if you skip forward a few hundred years, this actually happens. We read about how from the house of Jesse, which Isaiah talks about in verse 1, the house of Jesse uh, from the kingly line of David, the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. Jesus is born as a baby in, in the town of David, Bethlehem. He grows up, and at his baptism, what happens? Jesus steps out of the water, and the Spirit of God rests on him. The king of this heavenly kingdom is Jesus, filled with the permanent presence of God. Jesus is the king of the heavenly city, the kingdom of God. And as we live as disciples of Jesus, as citizens of this world and as citizens of heaven, who is it that we worship? Is it Jesus that I worship? I was reading earlier um, this year uh, a book by a guy called Henri Nguyen, uh, an amazing Christian writer, uh, and once he, he was describing how once he had the honor of spending some time with Mother Teresa, and he wanted to, to get some spiritual direction from this incredibly godly, famous woman of God. And so, you know, he's built up. He's really excited. He wants to seek her wisdom. He has about an hour in her presence. And he says, you know, can you just tell me? Can you give me some of your words of wisdom? How can I draw closer to God? And she says this, and only this. Spend one hour a day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything that you know is wrong. Follow this and you'll be fine. And I think she probably just got up and walked off at that point. (laughs) Spend one hour a day in adoration of our Lord. Never do anything wrong. Follow this and you'll be fine. And he was like, oh, that's a bit disappointing really. But as he walked away from that encounter and thought about what she said, he was like, there is such truth. There is such treasure in those words. You know, we're called as citizens of the kingdom of God to worship God. And to just try and follow him with our lives and try and not do anything wrong the kingdom will have a king like no other and we're called to worship that king and secondly how will this king rule verses three to five this king this leader if you look at verse four particularly he will judge the needy with righteousness now, this means he will judge the needy in a way that is morally right. I'm sure I'm not the, one, the only one in this room to have spent quite a lot of time thinking um, about the tragic deaths of those 27 people who drowned in the English Channel a couple of weeks ago. And my sort of thoughts have led me to, to ask, you know, I wonder how Jesus would act towards the thousands of asylum seekers who are moving around Europe, moving through Europe, desperately trying to escape violence, desperately trying to protect their families and find a hope and a future. How would Jesus have spoken to the authorities and the politicians, the people of power who have made the policies which mean that for some of these people, the only option open to these human beings is to pay a people smuggler and risk their lives and get in boats to cross the English Channel in the middle of winter in the hope of having a hope and a future. What would Jesus' style judgment and justice and righteousness look like in those situations and those places. Because, you know, to Jesus, each of these people are known and are loved human beings made in his image. And so each one of them has value and worth. And so I think that Jesus would judge their need in a way which is morally right. He will judge the needy With righteousness and I think that Jesus would also have spoken truth to power and he'd have turned over a few tables as he'd done so. Verse 4 tells us when this king speaks he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with his lips he will slay the wicked. You know if you read the Gospels there is nothing namby-pamby about Jesus' words. Each word he speaks is filled with power and authority and truth. Jesus' words are words that will bring justice to the poorest and the oppressed. They break down barriers and they restore, spe- uh, uh, they restore peace. Jesus' words are the sort of words that calm storms. They speak compassion. They bring and they give freedom. And if Jesus is our king, and we know that his kingdom is a place where justice flows like mighty rivers and righteousness like never-ending streams, if his kingdom is a place where we know that every person is known so intimately by Jesus, this king, that he knows every hair on their head and is known and loved by him, where each person would be judged in a way which is morally right with compassion and mercy. If we know this about this king and this kingdom, then as citizens of that kingdom, we're called to step out of the shadows sometimes, aren't we? And speak out and live out and challenge the structures of a society which sometimes is at odds with the kingdom of God, simply put, what we're called to do is to love as Jesus loves. So being citizens of heaven, living on earth, you know, it can sometimes feel that we're being pulled into, can can't it? We've got like our foot in two camps and how do we do it? But sometimes I think, well, actually it should be a tricky place to be living in the kingdom of God. Jesus never said it was going to be easy. He brings in a kingdom, which is so at odds with the ways of the world, if we're comfortable, then maybe we're not doing it right. But even when it's tricky, there is always hope. Because we have the promise of something far better. And in Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9, we get a glimpse of, of what the king's kingdom will ultimately look like when everything is brought to completion, when relationships are restored. Listen to this. In this place, the wolf will live with the lamb. That's not normal. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. This heavenly kingdom is a place where the predator lives alongside their prey. It looks like a place of reconciliation and renewal. Uh, uh, What a contrast that, that picture is to the ways of this world, where so often it's the fittest and the strongest and the most powerful who are the ones who thrive and survive where people um, love, don't what well, we love to be against something and to rile against something else. People love to take different sides over things and make the other the other. But when Jesus brings in the kingdom of God, he, you know, he shows us a different way. It's a way where the poor and the dominated, the oppressed and the slave are lifted up and are brought high and a given life and value, and not just physically and emotionally, but spiritually too. Because in Jesus' kingdom, everybody is welcome to the table. Everybody is invited to the feast in the kingdom of God. Because whoever you are, if you declare with your mouth, Romans 10 verse 9 tells us, if you declare with your mouth, mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is equality in the kingdom of God, not inequality. So Jesus brings in a new order of things where relationships, as they are designed to be in the first place, are restored and renewed, where there is peace and transformation The earth is restored to heavenly perfection. This is a picture at the end of uh, these verses in Isaiah 11 of coming home, coming home to God. And so a couple of questions uh, as we close. You know, this Advent, as we prepare to celebrate Jesus, what will that look like for you and for I? How can we take a bold step, perhaps a bigger step than we've ever taken before, to take on the characteristics, speak the language, live the life of the King and his kingdom, rather than just blending in with the rest of the world? And where might the Spirit just be nudging us, perhaps to speak truth, to act with righteousness? to work for justice, to bring hope and comfort and also Christ-like joy to the world this Christmas. If we will count ourselves as followers of Jesus, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, this is what we're called to be and to do. And what a joy it is to join with him in this work. So let's just pray. Jesus, we just thank you for all the truth that is wrapped up in these words of Scripture. And Lord, whatever you're saying to us, wherever you've been nudging us tonight, whoever you're calling us to be, whatever changing changes you're saying to us, yeah, you can do this, you can do life differently, you can live for me in your workplace or your school or university in a way that marks you out as different. Wherever God is calling you to be the voice of truth or to act in a way that is morally right, even when everybody else is going in a different direction. God, we pray that you would just continue to nudge us, continue to speak to our hearts. And then I pray that this wouldn't be just a nice spiritual moment here in church, but on Tuesday or Wednesday, next Saturday, the next week, That you continue to be nudging us and speaking to us. And that you would help us to continue to live in a way which is radically following you. For some of us, this is going to take real courage. And so I pray that you would give us faith, that you would give us hope, that you would give us love that you would give us determination, that you would give us courage to take on the character of the king and his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.